Have you ever been crossed by anybody? By that I mean, has anybody ever done anything to you to upset you? Maybe they said something that was unkind. Maybe they did something that, that threw off all of your plans or the, or the way things, uh, the way you wanted things to be. And maybe it was somebody who cut you off on a freeway or, or skipped in line at the grocery store or, or something. It's a pretty normal experience that sometimes people just cross our paths and, and make us upset with what they say or what they do. But the bigger question is, how did you respond when you were crossed? Did you do something? Did you say something? Did you think, I'm going to get back at that person for what they did. I'm going to make sure that they make it right. We see so much of that going on today, right? Huh? I mean, extreme things like freeway shootings. But what do you do when you're confronted by somebody and there's conflict? As I said, it's kind of a natural, normal thing that we're going to experience that even Jesus did. And he showed us what to do. As we continue with our series of messages entitled, At the Crossroads, that is, looking at what to do when we're faced with some decisions, some responses that we need to make. Today we want to learn about how to respond in conflict. And Jesus shows us what to do. To show compassion. The part of scripture that we want to study this morning is a, probably a familiar part to you. It's when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on Monday, Thursday, before he's going to be crucified. And after he's done with his intense praying, one of his disciples, Judas, comes with a group of soldiers and the chief priests of the people to arrest Jesus. Here's what went on. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. The other gospel writers tell us then at this point, all the disciples fled. It's kind of an interesting scene, isn't it? A lot of contrasts. Here comes the church people the religious leaders, and they want to confront God. Here's one of Jesus' followers coming to betray him. And here's Jesus' followers wanting to fight, and Jesus tells them no. And then they all run away after they had just pledged their undying support 
for Jesus. Wow. What's going on? Well, psychologists would tell us that when people are confronted like this, when they experience stress, they have two responses, fight or flight. That is basically, you're going to do something to defend yourself or you're going to run away. And we see both of those things happening here with the disciples. Now the question would be, why is it do we make that response? Well, sometimes we make that response of, of fighting, defending, or fleeing, running away, because we're afraid. Peter probably was afraid. I mean, wouldn't you be? Here it is late at night out in a dark uh, park area, and here comes this group of soldiers, and you know what they want to do. They want to arrest Jesus, and maybe you. You'd be afraid too. In fact, we know Peter was afraid because a, a few hours later, when Jesus is on trial in front of the high priest, Peter was out in the courtyard warming himself by the fire, and, and he was asked, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? You sound like one of them. And he was afraid, and so he starts cursing and swearing and denying that he's one of the disciples, denying that he even knew who Jesus was. He was fearful for his own safety. But maybe in the back of his mind were those words that Jesus had spoken recently to him that Jesus would be arrested and that he would be beaten and crucified and raised again. So perhaps it's out of fear that Peter makes that reaction of wanting to fight and then run away. But there was also another reaction or cause for his reaction, and that was fury. Now, I chose the word fury not just because it started with the letter F, but because fury really describes anger that's out of control, rage. The Bible talks about how when you are filled with rage, you start acting in violent ways, and, and that's what Peter was doing. Some of the inmates that I minister to in prison, when they tell me about their crimes and what they did that landed them in prison, they'll describe how they were filled with such rage, with fury, that caused them to act out in the way they did and commit their crimes. So part of their rehab is to go through anger management. Well, we as a church in ministering to them, give them a Bible study course that's called God is My Anger manager. And it reminds them that there's a spiritual side to our anger and that it needs God's help to control. Just this week I, I got a letter from one of the inmates who had taken that course and he thanked me for that course because he said it really helped him put into perspective the fact that he needs God's help to control his anger. He also reported that through all of his rehab and such now he's been found suitable for parole and will be getting out in a couple of weeks. But the point is that we recognize that there's a spiritual side to this. And, and that's something even that the Apostle Paul warned about. In, the book, in his letter to the Romans, Paul wrote, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Sometimes we think we have to fight 
We have to make things right. And God reminds us, let that revenge, let his wrath take place, not ours. In fact, the Apostle Paul warns that that wrath could turn on us. He writes, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. There he's reminding us that that anger weakens us. And it can become a foothold for the devil to get a hold of us and lead us into sin or worse. Yesterday I was at the prison and as I was waiting to be processed to go inside, I, I was able to look out over and see the whole prison yard. And I noticed there was a guard who was walking along the perimeter, along the fence, and he would tug on the fence as he's going along. And then he went up to one of the resident buildings and he'd go up to the windows and he'd push on them. What he was doing was looking for any weak spots, anything that could be used as a, as a place where a prisoner could escape. And that's exactly what Paul is warning us about. Don't let your anger get out of control that it becomes a weak spot in your faith for the devil to get a hold of you to cause you to sin or even worse, maybe to fall out of faith. And you see, that really is what lies behind our fear and our fury. It's a lack of faith. Now, sometimes we may say, you know what? Yeah, I get angry when such and such happens. It's just kind of an instinct, just an automatic response. I didn't even think about it. And that's true. But that also illustrates a lack of faith. That instead of having that faith and turning to God for help, instead we figure out we have to do something. Or, even if we do have time to think about before we act, we might also display a lack of faith. Because we might think, you know what? God isn't going to do anything. I need to straighten this out. And you know what it says? That, you know, God helps those who help themselves. So I'm going to take action here and straighten this out. Or maybe we'll think, you know, God doesn't even care, probably. He's not even watching what's going on. He's not here. He's not experiencing that. So I'm going to deal with this my way. But even worse than that is not to see God's hand in the situation and God's plan. And that was Peter's problem. Peter, I think, understood what was going on. It's what Jesus had said what happened. He would be arrested and tried and crucified. And Peter did not want to accept that. He did not want that to happen. So you see, sometimes when we are confronted, faced with some conflict, we might respond with fight or flight. It might be out of fear, it might be out of some fury, and it might be because of a lack of faith. So what should we do? When you're at a crossroads, you have to decide what direction, what path you are going to take. Now maybe there's some things that go through your mind in making that decision. Maybe you're going to think, well, is the situation worth it? If I, if I do this or if I do that, is it, is it really worth it? Maybe I should just let it slide and not be bothered by it. Or maybe we'll think, is the action I'm going to take going to really bring about any change? Or is it just going to be the same thing? Or maybe I'll say, you know, some, some action needs to happen. It needs to change. So I'm going to take some action. 
because I don't think that God is going to do it. I need to step in. When we're at a crossroads, we have to make a decision which path we're going to choose. I want to remind you of the words of the prophet Jeremiah that I shared with you last week. He says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. So when we're at the crossroads, we shouldn't just say, well, What's going to have the best outcome, or is it going to make any difference at all? Instead, he said, ask, what's the ancient path? What's the old path? What's the right path that was taken? What we should be saying is, look at the crossroad that Jesus walked and follow his path. So our response then when when we face conflict doesn't have to be a matter of fight or flight, but rather our response can be one of faith. I just told you that sometimes the response we make displays a lack of faith. So the first thing we should do then is focus back on faith. That is, see the compassion of God for us and others. key word for today is compassion. And in the Bible, that word that's used means a, a very deep-seated type of love and emotion. It really speaks to the heartfelt, sincere emotion of love. That's the word that's used to describe God's compassion for us. We can see what that looks like in, in practical terms when we look at some of the passages where it describes God as being compassionate. Here's one, for example. It's in the book of Lamentations from the Old Testament, written by the prophet Jeremiah, who was called the weeping prophet. He was crying because he had just witnessed the destruction of his country. Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians. It lay in rubbles. People were grouped together and were marched out of the country and being taken as captives to a foreign land. And he's observing all of this and weeping. But look at what he says he sees going on. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. See, he wasn't complaining. He wasn't saying, it's time to get out of here, run away. He wasn't saying, come on, we have to fight for our country. He was seeing the compassion of God, even in that suffering. The compassions, plural. He saw God's love and mercy that comes in a variety of ways to fit any situation we experience. He said it was, it was like new, fresh dew every morning. So he said, the Lord is my portion. He's the one I hang on to. That's my possession. I'll wait for him. That's faith. Seeing the compassion of God 
and holding on to it. And he goes on. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good to wait in faith and to trust. It said the word salvation, and when we hear that word, we often think of of God taking us to heaven, and that's true. But God's salvation is also His delivering us from every evil around here now in this life. In fact, the assurance of heaven tomorrow is the assurance of help today. Let me say that again. The assurance of heaven tomorrow is our assurance of help today. And that's exactly what you and I experience. That's what we heard about in that psalm we read just a little bit earlier. Listen, how he describes the compassion of God in our life. He says, God forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's our compassionate God. When we stand at a crossroads with conflict, look at that ancient path and see what is right and good. See the compassion of God. That's the road to take. That one road of salvation, Jesus. And then, speak the compassion of God. That's the path to take. Speak God's compassion, which is words of forgiveness. Did you hear that dialogue that was going on between Jesus and his betrayer? In the other gospel accounts, Jesus addresses Judas as a friend. As a friend. And it's interesting to note that Peter, who was ready to fight is the one whom Jesus earlier had called Satan, an enemy. Jesus' compassion flows in forgiveness, even for his enemies. And while Judas had come to do what he thought was his plan, it wasn't the scheme of men or the scheme of the devil. It was the plan of God that Jesus would be arrested and crucified so that we would experience forgiveness. Jesus was made guilty so we would be pronounced innocent. That was God's plan. And now, that's what we are urged to speak in times of conflict too. The passage we had before from Colossians. Paul says, bear with each other. 
and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, that is, if you've ever been crossed by somebody, forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Because it hurts when we've been confronted. And we might say, you know what, that person hasn't shown any remorse or any apology. Or you don't know what it's like. But God doesn't hold back his forgiveness for us. It's full and it's free. And that's what he urges us to speak when we're confronted. To choose that path of speaking forgiveness. And then to go one step farther. And that is to befriend those who've hurt us. You know what Jesus did. Peter lashed out and cut off that man's ear. What did Jesus do? He touched that man and healed that ear. Notice it didn't say Jesus saw it and yeah, he had to think it over and wondered, well, when would be the right time? Maybe that guy needs to suffer a little bit, come to his senses so he realizes what he's doing. <laughs> Jesus didn't say that. Jesus immediately healed that man's ear and the man's heart, showing forgiveness. Now, the Apostle John added that this servant's name was Malchus. Now, we don't hear anything else in the Bible about that man, just his name that John wrote down 60 years later. I guess the Christian community knew who that man was, maybe because that man came to know who Jesus was through that act of compassion. And so God would call us to show compassion to those who confront us so that we can spread that compassion of God. You see, Jesus is all about making right the wrongs of people. Jesus healed the hurt of that man. Jesus wants to reach out and heal the hurts that we cause. His love replaces our anger. His words of kindness replace our words of anger. That's what Jesus is about, to show that compassion. Our hearts may be filled with, with fear, with, with anger, with revenge, but the heart of Jesus is a heart of compassion. It erases our sin and replaces our disobedience with his love. So, if you find yourself at a crossroads, remember what Jeremiah said. Stand at the crossroads and look. Not only to see, gee, what is the best, what is the most advantageous path to take, but look back at that ancient crossroad, the one that, that crossed your heart and let you see the compassion of Jesus. Then follow Jesus and show compassion to others. Amen.